0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Time Podcast. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Derek. Derek, how you feeling, man? You, uh, we, We've had uh, a couple weeks off. You, you were feeling sick, and obviously feeling sick and sounding terrible is makes for a bad podcast. So
1: took a couple weeks off, but we're back. And You, you feeling better? All refreshed? I'm feeling a lot better. Can't say I'm 100% yet. I got real <laughs> sick. I don't know what well, happened. You sound 100%. Thank you, Jeremy.
0: <laughs> you sound you sound lot. great. I'm glad to be back. Good, to, it's good to be back with you today, my, my man Derek. Feeling Absolutely, better.
1: yeah. I'm glad. I, mean, I mean, I'm pumped, man. I I, uh, I think I uh, so the problem I had is I jumped the gun. Okay, mm. I thought I was getting all better. I thought I was 100. Mm. And I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going go to go to our weekly basketball play basketball.
0: Trip. I was going <laughs> to, and it wasn't just a <laughs>
1: weekly basketball trip. Our Uh-oh. gym is being renovated, so or cleaned, and we had to go to a rival gym with people we don't Uh-oh. know. Oh, and so, of no. course, you and go there, and you, you go. Got you got to the... go extra hard, dude. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and I uh, am out of shape, as I mentioned previously. Nothing's changed, by the way. And I was feeling sick, so I was like, I had to go to, like, the restroom and blow my nose. In the middle of, like, you know, in between the games, I was coughing. And the next day, I had this, like, horrible chest congestion because of, like, oh, the man. how much I was breathing in. But I survived. I'm here. He's back. And I'm back. Well, you know what we
0: missed while, uh, while we were out, Derek, um, and apparently all the rest of the Midwest also uh, missed it, was was Mardi Gras happened oh, last yeah. week. Oh, yeah. That's right. Two weeks ago? When was Mardi Gras? Two weeks ago.
1: Something like that. I don't That's know, something.
0: because I, I we're not in New Orleans anymore. This was the first Mardi Gras of my entire life, Derek, where I have worked. Wow. My entire life. I have never worked uh, on Mardi Gras. I've never worked a Mardi Gras day my entire life, and... This is the first time. It was weird. I'll be honest. Watching everybody back at home, having fun. It was a beautiful day down in New Orleans, you know, for Mardi Gras, and here we are just having meetings, <laughs> talking to people about some <laughs> bullshit that I'd rather be uh, day drinking, sitting on a neutral ground, drinking some beer, and eating some Popeyes, but, you know, whatever. That's life, I guess. <laughs> I felt Small like changes. a normie, and it was very uncomfortable.
1: But yeah. It also, first of many, it, I guess. It made me realize that, you know, what it feels like being an outsider with the people that work from New Orleans, when it must yep. feel like, so you're taking a day off to party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can't meet today so because you're I'm going or? to work and you're taking a day off. Let me just make sure I understand. <laughs> yeah. You're going to drink all day and you're going to throw things at people and you're going to yell and scream. And the next day you're going to complain because you're hungover and we all have to be uh, like, yeah. cool, you're from New to, Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we get it. We get it. You like to party. So when I was going to LSU, uh, you
0: know, we worked in uh, like restaurants and stuff and um, the restaurants were always open. And even in in Baton Rouge, most of the the, businesses and stuff are open. They don't do Mardi Gras even an hour away from New Orleans. They don't do Mardi Gras like we do in in New Orleans, you know. So it was always like, you know, living in in Baton Rouge for a while, uh, they still didn't really do, do Mardi Gras like New Orleans did. But you were always an hour away. So you could just be like, I'm taking off. I'm going to find someone to cover my shift. But this was the first time it actually worked, and it was, you know, it was very sad, but whatever.
1: We'll have to bring Mardi Gras here, man. That's what we got to do. That's
0: what we got to do. Next year. Next year. We'll start a crew. We'll start a Mardi Gras crew, and nobody Mm -hmm. will know what to do, and it'll be really funny. Mm Mm-hmm. So so what do you want to talk about today, Derek? What do you want to talk about?
1: I had a couple ideas, but one popped in my head, and I wonder if you would be interested in talking about this. Lay it on me. Uh, The idea of transforming an organization, culturally, really. Uh, pitfalls, the possibilities, Mm. the ins, the outs, the in betweens, and all that stuff.
0: I love it. You know, when I hear people say uh, talk about transformation, and a lot of times they're talking about digital transformation. Sometimes they're going from waterfall to agile, so it's an agile transformation. And then the people who help run that those are they're called agile transformers. And I always laugh because the first thing I picture is Optimus Prime doing ballet or stretches or doing a split. You know, a real, a real agile transformer. <laughs> Just That's what I picture in my head. And I always laugh and it always makes me giggle.
1: It's because it's funny, Jeremy.
0: <laughs> I always want to make a little animated, animated gif of uh, Optimus Prime in a tutu doing ballet.
1: Uh, I think of the people right now who I know were in that role of agile transformer and imagining them like, turning turning into a uh turning into an 18 wheeler makes me laugh. <laughs> My son and I are playing a Transformers video game right now. It's probably where the idea came from <laughs> right now. I love it. It's a great Transformers video game. Transformers Devastation, uh sponsor us if you uh <laughs> yeah, if please, you're listening. For the
0: love of god, send us
1: some money. So, when we talk about transformation, uh the first thing I want to get in everybody's head is it's uh it's basically complete bullshit. Um <laughs> because transformation implies that something can happen like you're happen relatively quickly it's like a, a transformation is like a um you're going immediately from one phase to another phase to a phase of enlightenment to a phase of wow we never thought we could be this amazing um that doesn't really happen uh unfortunately
0: so, so what you're saying, Derek, is that those old stick-in-the-muds who have been doing something the same way for 20 years don't suddenly just stop <laughs> doing what they've always done just because the executive said, we're bringing in an agile transformer.
1: That's correct, Jeremy. Oh. Yeah, I what know what it seems odds? surprising. I know it <laughs> it's seems <so> surprising. <laughs> uh, but I think there's <laughs> I a thought. reason why. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. Why do people not change the way they work just because someone comes in and tells them what to do and that mm. they're doing everything wrong? Yeah. You have kids, right, Jeremy? I do. Two beautiful kids, don't you? When they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. When I think about how I want them to change their behavior, I don't go into their rooms and say, you have to become amazing at this today just because they've been alive for nine years and they've done a lot of other stuff and they've gotten through this many grades of school and it doesn't seem hard to me in my head. Like, all you have to do is brush your teeth, take a bath, go to bed. Don't complain. That's it. That's all I'm asking you to do. And then everything else will be a lot easier. I think a similar thing applies to teams and people, grown-up people, because we assume that they're ready for this kind of enlightenment. Sometimes people just need a different method in order to convince them that there's a different way to do something Mm -hmm. and if you don't go into transforming an organization as an insider as someone who they trust as someone who's seen it and felt it felt what they felt you're fighting the one of the hardest uphill battles of your career because nobody is going to believe you Mm -hmm. i mean there may be some exceptions are if you come from like One of those companies that everybody reveres, like Google, or you come from Amazon or something and you come into the organization. Even so, these people have been conditioned to think that their world is different than everyone else's. And it's why they have to do the crazy, complicated, uh, what they feel are sophisticated techniques in order to operate their team and their systems. So, that's Mm. the baseline for kind of how I see how Agile transformation impacts teams yeah. like that.
0: You know, well, I guess what I'm immediately reminded of is that conversation that we had with John Arundel about consulting and coming in. Right yeah. Being an outside consultant coming in and you've got all these people that have been doing it <clears throat> the same way for years, and the the, the the team hires you to come in or the, the leadership team hires you to come in and fix it all and save the day and yeah. what was the first thing he said he did? He went and he just got to know the guys, the, the the men women that were actually doing the work and asking them, you know what's going on here? how come things aren't working right or whatever right? And often I think uh, at least from my experience, a lot of the times it's it's these people coming in and lecturing. And saying, you know, we need to do this. We need to do that. Here's a bunch of training videos we put together. Go watch them and and expect people to stop what they're doing and stop all the work they have to do to go watch a bunch of videos to become, you know, uh, agile or or whatever the transformation you're trying to do is. Generally doesn't happen. Surprise, surprise.
1: First of all, you're absolutely right. That is like a a very difficult uh, situation to put yourself in uh, if you go about it that way where you um – just start imposing things on people, recommending they do these specific things. If you, take this me- if you take this special potion, you're suddenly going to become more agile or whatever it is. The thing we do on this podcast a lot of times is we do focus heavily on why or how something won't work. And then we get to the end and we're uh, realizing that, oh God, we only have five <laughs> minutes left. We have to t- give some suggestions. I'd like to focus a different way on this one because there are things you can do. And I'm starting to see, because I've been on a team for a while, and at first it was challenging, not real uh, coming in as a culture transformer, culture warrior, whatever they wanted to call me. <laughs> Did
0: somebody call you that? Is that something that somebody I said? I don't
1: know. I, maybe I don't okay. know. Okay, I, I was like, I don't remember. Like,
0: okay, that'd be really funny. Like, it was Derek it was basically like, it was a, a, it was like a, a cl- spear and a
1: yeah Shield just think or of or like the there. uh the cultural <laughs> crusades as it were um yeah oh, okay. you know, well people... those didn't work very well ah uh, yeah the it depends could. on who you were Depends on which side you're on um the most important thing i'm finding in dealing with teams who know that something's wrong is getting them to admit something's wrong mm. and that's like the hardest first thing that's the first thing you got to do it's very similar to like any kind of addiction People mm-hmm. have an addiction to a lack of excellence in their work.
0: Well, I was like, uh, yeah, I was just yeah. gonna say, isn't it it's almost like an addiction to a process that doesn't work?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So like this this feeling we have every day when we get up in the morning and we and depending on who you are, you may have a different feeling about how you approach your work. You may feel like if I don't absolutely do my work to the fullest extent and deliver everything I could possibly deliver, I can't sleep at night. And there are some people who say to themselves, I've lowered the bar so low that as long as I send a few emails, uh, I'm just putting it away. I can't even think about it um, Mm till tomorrow. As there have been so many issues that have been piling up over the years, it kind of overwhelms you. Um, I've been on teams in different states of this where there was obviously problems but they were tangible things. And you could, everybody was kind of talking about them all the time. It'd be like, all right, we need to address this specific issue, whether it's communication with an external team on the other side of the world, or, or we don't collaborate well enough, and we talk about it. First of all, if you're a cultural transformer on a team, that's, don't, don't do that. Just stop doing that. That That's ridiculous. Don't do that. That's, that, first of all, it's a dumb idea. Don't, don't, if you're a manager, don't hire someone to culturally transform your organization. You have people there who already do the work that needs to be done. Yeah.
0: You know, I, I wonder, one of the things I wonder about that, because this is, again, something where we've seen this, I think, often is like they'll hire a team that go, come in, whether they're consultants, outside consultants, or even full-time employees that are transformers. And um, what you're essentially telling all of the people is that like the way you're doing it is wrong and you're bad, right? You're essentially, you're the way you do it is bad. These people, they're good and and you're you're putting them versus us right you're sort of just not intentionally i don't think but you're pitting this group of people who have done something a certain way maybe you didn't hire them you know you didn't hire a person from that group you hired somebody outside to come in especially that's even worse and you've got this sort of tribe mentality us versus them you're already you're already setting up conflict you know you're already setting up conflict just even i think even saying out loud that like we're transforming transforming implies like the thing that we have is bad and we need to get to somewhere good, yeah, so i, I you know I don't know I'm not again i'm not not saying this is the solution, and maybe this is you maybe like you said, how do you find the balance between admitting we have a problem and staying saying that we need to change, right? It's yeah. like getting the team to come to that conclusion that on their own that they need to change. Depends on the size of the company because clearly, smaller companies with like, you know, fewer people, it's probably a lot easier to come to that consensus together. When you've got thousands of people, giant organizations, <laughs> how do you do that organically? I, I don't even know if that's possible. Um, maybe that is something you have to come in with an outside team. I, I honestly don't know the answer.
1: I don't know. The team will tell you what's wrong. Mm-hmm. They will tell you what's wrong. You just have to ask them. And the best way to ask them, is not to send out a survey to each everybody. <laughs> now, so now, sure. now there are places and times for surveys, mm-hmm. and also take everything I say with a grain of salt because the one thing I've learned from consultants, being hired as a consultant within my own organization, is that you can't trust anything anybody says until you've verified it, until you've really uh, understood why it applies in your context. So. Take the things that I'm saying, take the things that Jeremy's saying, apply it in your context and make sure it makes sense for you. All right. that's my disclaimer. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Good. listen, but don't like don't just think that this is the way it always needs to be.
0: I should probably also put a disclaimer that I've never been hired as a
1: transformer or (laughs) any
0: kind of thing in any capacity. So I don't know what the hell I'm talking about at all. I'm just here for the ride, Derek.
1: You do. (laughs) That's the thing. You do know what you're talking about because you've been in organizations that you felt needed to change. Well, maybe so. And you aren't the type of person, I know you very well, you aren't the type of person that just sits around doesn't say what's wrong. You just talk Mm -hmm. about it. It's true. You'll say it out loud. Hey, I don't understand why we do it this way. It doesn't make any sense. And very plainly, out loud. Now, what happens, I've seen in organizations, is that the power construct changes the relationships between the people, which prevents them from bubbling up or sharing what's really going on mm-hmm. with the people that can help make changes. And it is the most important thing to be in an organization or in in an organization, in a class, in whatever, is the one who asks questions when they know that no one else knows what the hell's going on, mm, yeah. So it's like you're in a meeting and everybody's all frustrated because the priorities don't make sense. You got to be the one brave enough, or I'm not you, not you, listener, dear listener. Yeah, um, means, but you, yeah. oh, yeah, not yeah, you obviously not you, John. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Unless it I'm could in the be meeting, you, now, but, so, but but it's 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 that level of bravery is required if you want to transform an organization somebody needs to be willing to ask questions when things don't make sense yep. and then that in that needs to infect other people who have that in them but are a little shy yeah but th- so maybe they'll express it to that person who's not shy Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, very, so well, yeah. well,
0: so that's human nature in general. I mean, that's almost anything. Like, if, if I'm doing UX research, for instance, and I have I'm meeting with a few people, potentially one or two people at a time. It always takes a little bit for them to open up, and then once one person opens up, everyone else opens up. Yeah. So this is obviously like a focus group. It could be anything, right? I mean, the, this is human nature. You know, a party. I mean, people don't you know they get nervous, and people don't like to speak up. And so when they, when one person does, and they break the ice, and everyone else starts to do it. And often in those meetings, it takes just one person to speak up and say, this doesn't make sense. And then everyone else will pile on and be like, yeah, you know, it doesn't make sense. You know, um, I often see this in like retros all, uh, all the time where one, one person will start saying something, and everybody be like, yeah, you know, that's true. And then they'll just pile on. Um, so I think what you're saying is absolutely right. Be that one person. Don't be afraid to speak up.
1: Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and if if you find people in your organization, you know, know what's going on. Talking to them one-on-one can give you so much more information than talking to them in a group Mm -hmm. because it's not awkward to have a conversation one-on-one. It's a little awkward when you're in a team's call and they say, hey, does anybody have any ideas about this? And you just don't know if your idea is the best idea. I mean, I have ideas, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if like, you know, I don't know if I should say anything right now because they're my managers on the call and I don't want to look strange. I don't want to say anything rude. And so like, yeah, I mean... That's the big thing for me is is getting people to express what's really going on. You won't get anywhere unless you do that. Yeah. And there are many ways to do that.
0: You but know, uh, this is actually a, a tactic space. that I've I've read about when it comes to influencing groups to do things that they don't want to do and how does especially how does one person in a maybe a large group that doesn't have any official authority change anything, right? Could be culture, could be processes, could be anything. Um, how do you get the that group to change? And um, one of the tactics that I've seen many times stated is to break off those different people in the group and have one-on-one conversations with them. Because often, just like you said, in the group dynamic, when you have one person of authority that thinks one way or another, many will follow that person, whether they agree or not or even if they don't agree they they would be afraid to stand up and disagree with that person of authority because they don't want to look like they're going against their boss or they don't want to get in trouble or they're worried about getting fired or or whatever um and so if you break them off what you can often find is you'll find allies right one person may have the ear of somebody else and you know just like we've talked about many other times in the past This could be changing decisions with stakeholders, you know, talking about design decisions or or, or architecture decisions or whatever. Going off and talking one-on-one and explaining your point and getting feedback and having those smaller conversations with many people many times versus one big conversation generally will work in your favor much more than trying to address it in a larger group.
1: Totally agree. Totally I don't have any great. scientific
0: evidence to back that up. <laughs> well, that's are. what I've read.
1: That's what I've read in books. Yeah, and again, a lot of this doesn't have a lot of scientific backing. That's why we need to bring in. Uh, we need to bring in a, a, a retro time researcher uh, to start to bring us all the stats. The <laughs> yeah,
0: once we start getting sponsored, well, yeah, first thing
1: yeah, we <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, Transformers Devastation, um, you heard it here. <laughs> so, so you, you've let's say you've done that. Okay, you've you've made the decision to help your team improve. But your buddy, he's still frustrated. He just wants to write code. He just wants to write his documentation, whatever he's asked to do. He doesn't feel like dealing with a cultural mess. That's an interesting situation, isn't it? Because Mm. that person was not hired to do something like that, to to transform an organization. Is it now their responsibility to transform it? I Mm. think it's up to them. And I think Mm. it's up to you on your team if you're a leader It's up to you to improve the health of your organization, both the quality of the work you do and the health and mental health and the physical health of the people you work with and stabilize that. But if you're just there to do great work, it is not necessarily your primary responsibility to clean up your whole organization Mm. because your job is hard enough. I'll be honest with you. I know you. You. I'm talking to you. Me? Me? Not you, you. No, you, the guy behind me. Okay, yeah, fine. the guy behind you. <laughs> the, uh, it's hard, right? So yeah. what should you do? Mm-hmm. And I thought about this a lot. Why okay. would we join an organization if we knew the culture was pathological or sick? Why would we join that organization? Well, there are no organizations
0: you? in this world. I mean, I guess the thing is you don't know that until you are there and you're the the sort of, you know, the honeymoon period's over. And then you realize like, wait a second, hold on.
1: So I thought about this, and there are questions I think we can ask in interviews that mm. can help us determine the culture of our organization. Okay. Weird questions. They may seem weird. Here we go. Can't wait. Hit me up. Right. I can't wait. Let me know. All right. Who runs your organization? All right. At this point, they, they say one person's name. You got to dial in on that. Okay? okay. So they say, Tom runs the organization. Tom, Tom Dinglebutt's.
0: Dingle oh, Dinglebutts! Yep. First of all, I
1: don't lie. know how he got that far with a name like Dinglebutts. Probably just uh, <laughs> it's probably a um, it's not sort a very corporate friendly over, name. It's a startup. That's okay. yeah, it's a startup. You Dinglebutts. Um, so Tom is your is runs. The, okay, okay, interesting. Um, when you have meetings, where does Tom sit? Mm. Um, uh, well, he sits at the end of the table. <laughs> He's how got a gold the,
0: a gold plated throne that we yeah. have him sit on. To
1: yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> When you guys have status updates, do you update each other or do you all update Tom? Oh, I see. Yeah, so now you're, you're, you're piecing together if an, if an organization is very command and control. Any of those answers to those questions, if they try to hide the fact that it's command and control, um, it trickles down. So it's very easy to see how the, the lead guy operates He's going to influence everyone below him because they all want mm-hmm. to replace him. They all want to get his job, everyone that yeah. works for him. You know, the the older I get,
0: Derek, and this is something I've been trying to tell, like, these mentees that I've, I've talked to often, you know, that a lot of them are coming out of boot camps and they're they're trying to get jobs as, you know, freshly minted UX designers. Yeah. And the thing I tell them every single time is when you interview somewhere, you're interviewing them as much as they are interviewing you. Yes right? It's not your job to impress them. It should partly be their job to impress you enough to want to accept the offer. You don't have to take their offer. So this is what you're saying here is really insightful because, you know, this is something where I think most people would be terrified to ask this at an interview, right? Mm -hmm. But think of like all the headache and all the like stuff, all the headaches and all the like red tape you're, you're avoiding if you... Ask these types of questions in an interview and figure out well ahead of time that like, hey, you know, not the place for me. Thanks for having me. Appreciate that cup of water you gave me. I'm out, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, but that's something I think a lot of people are very scared to do is interview the interviewers, <laughs> you know. Um it, it definitely changes that dynamic. And I think a lot of people are nervous in interviews. When I do that it makes me more comfortable, it makes me feel like I have some power. Yeah. Um, so I, I, love that approach, man. I like that a lot.
1: Do you have any other questions that you would ask? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, after you find out that, uh, you can start asking questions about how are decisions made in the organization? So just really blanketly, how are decisions made? Uh, mm-hmm. what kind of decisions? Uh, just pick one, uh, priority decisions. How are mm-hmm. they made? Well, uh, Tom kind of tells us what to do and then we just do it. Oh, okay. So you don't have any say in what you do. You're mm-hmm. just given solutions to solve. Okay, yeah. So I was in an organization like that, and I wanted to come here so that I could solve problems, not <laughs> solutions. Yeah. Um. And it looks like maybe this isn't enough for me. Yeah. The water was great. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, water. I stole. Very, I stole a cold. few. I stole a few of those little. Uh, those little coffee pods. Um, yeah. uh, to, and I'll take those <laughs> home with me. Um. <laughs> And some of the coffee stirs too. I'm running yeah, low. I take some
0: of those. I like to yeah. use them as little straws. Yeah. Um, so. You know, so, yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, Yeah. You know, what it also tells me, too, is, and this is something I, I always tell people when they're doing job interviews and prepping for job interviews, is the way that they react to your questions tells a lot about them as well. Yeah. So, in this case, if they get offended and they don't answer your questions, I think you know the answers, right? If they just say, why does it matter? I don't understand why you're asking me these questions. Or they get an attitude with you. Probably not Run. the best place. you imagine you imagine working for that person? I mean, yes. if you ask them a question and they give you an attitude like that when you're trying to get actual work done, seems like you're you've dodged a bullet if you you don't get that job or you know people be very worried, oh, they won't offer me the job like so what? Are you better off not working for them and finding another place? Um, that's a really interesting insight. So, what well, what about the people who were stuck at that place and they, they didn't ask these questions? They got the job. What do you do then?
1: <laughs> right. Uh, well, it's if it's too, a large like, enough quit. organization, <laughs> you can. Well, you can always quit, but that's scary, especially if you have you know family, sure, yeah. um, or your 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 you know that's your main source of income. and whatever your personal situation is, family, otherwise, whatever, um, that can be very scary. Uh, but it's a lot less scary to look for work when you already have a job. True. So, it's it's you know never a bad idea to try going on interviews, um, and just ask around. You you can feel a lot more comfortable inter- about interviewing your interviewer if you already have a job. True. And you can so you can ask crazy questions if you want. <laughs> really you know? silly off the now, wall. Now, but yeah, you don't right, want to yeah. be disrespectful to the people of that course, work there. Of course. So if you if you find yourself like. So why do you do it like that? You still, well, obviously you suck, you know. Like the, yeah, you know, yeah. Right. So you, know, I mean, don't assume you know more than the people you're being interviewed. Just find out the way they work, and and if you're in an organization like that, and you're just realizing, oh my god, I've been in that organization like that for years, mm-hmm. and there are so many things about how it works that I don't understand, and th- a lot of times things are hidden from you, because. What's actually happening is kind of messed up. It's messed up in that it is being decided by one person. They don't know where they're, how, why they're making decisions. They're probably making decisions because someone higher than them told them to do it. Um, that the organization has been operating one way for a very long time. They feel stuck in their technology. They feel stuck in their ways and their processes. And it, in the year 2022, if, you're, if your organization is trying to get more agile... That's potentially a red flag. You may not think it's a red flag, but we were supposed to be getting more agile in 2005. Yeah, what happened? Like this, at this point, we should be thinking, what is the term agile even mean anymore? Like, why am I saying this word out loud? What am I trying to do? What is my organization? What is my purpose in my organization? You don't have to get super existential about it, but you can, but uh, it's a good word, but you can. You can really dive into the reasons why your organization works the way it does. There's no silver bullet to solving these problems. But I can tell you that there are a few treatments for an organization. Like there's no cure, but there are a number of treatments. Openness, mm. collaboration, shared decision making, like actually allowing people to make decisions that aren't the lead, leader guy, um, having those be trusted by the other Groups, um, trust itself, um, having good relationships with people and knowing them personally. Jeremy, how often does that helped you? Knowing people tons. personally, tons, tons. I've gotten tons. to the point now at work
0: where I'll just go if somebody that I know at some point I'll need not need something from not in a selfish way, but at some point I know I need to work with them about something, right? Yeah, and I'll I'll have to like you know they have a team that I know I'm going to need access to, or I'm going to I'm going to have to work with them and help. They're going to have to help me and do something. I've started just going and just doing a get-to-know with their boss or that leader of that team. And just yeah. said, hey, just, you know, this is what I do. This is how we work. This is the kind of stuff I do. And this is your, you know, your team is, you know, be real. Oh, at some point, it might be cool to work with your team. You know, like, well, whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Ah, ah. You know, just get to know. Totally informal. No uh, no agenda, really, just other than just to get to know them. Because you never know. You absolutely never know, especially in big organizations.
1: It's true. And yeah, so true. And and you know it's funny the best leaders that I've been led by have had two goals in mind. One was a high level of technical excellence in the work they did. Excellence in the in the in the work they did. So what I mean by that is like like say say you're not a software person. I don't know. I don't know how you got I don't know how you found this podcast, but welcome. Um <laughs> if nice you're not a software you. person, uh, the, if you're working at a grocery store, you know, and everyone around you doesn't care about the quality of the, the, the things how they're put on the, how the items are put on the shelves, how the, how the customers are treated, all this stuff that's really important to making a grocery store pleasant for the people who go there. If everybody, if, if the manager isn't inspiring people to be excellent in that way, And at the same time, at the same level, is as inspired to make sure those people are well taken care of, that they have a high sense of physical and psychological safety throughout the day, that they're given every tool they need to get their job done, and that they're treated with respect. Those two things, those simple two things, if one of those is missing— You're going to go way off course. Mm. It seems like you'd want the guy who treats everybody with respect all the time. And that would be better than someone who is technical. But if you don't have both of them, you're going to have revolts. And Mm. you're going to have a lot of dissension and chaos in your organization. You want disagreements, but you want them to be rooted in respect. Mm. And that, that kind of thing. And I've had managers that were... Excellent at both of those things and did push that stuff. And those have been the best teams I've ever been on.
0: Yeah. I would say as far as the technical excellence, I don't know that it's necessary for the boss to have the technical excellence. But I think it's important for the boss to understand what technical excellence is Mm. and to know it when he or she sees it and to know when they are not seeing it. Right? So if I'm if I've got a team of software engineers, the best software engineer on the team does not necessarily make the best manager or the best leader. Right? But Absolutely. it's important for the leader to know what makes a really great software engineer or UX designer, whomever, and to know when that person is not doing their job, right? So um, so it might not be like that that person can actually do the work. They don't have to know how to program or design, but they have to know they have to know what it is and be able to identify it and help those people who are not there get there.
1: It's a difficult thing because you know I think I think your point is completely perfect. The manager needs to have their hands and their effort completely involved in the people, mm-hmm. making yeah. the people as safe as they can be. And yeah. I think that should probably be 90 to 99% of what they're focused on. True. Um your manager, your leader, whatever. And it's they should be listening for when things aren't technically accurate. And then trust in the people under them or they manage to ensure technical excellence. And I think it probably boils down to trust. But you get really lucky when someone understands at a deep level why something isn't technically correct and also cares deeply about their people. And maybe that's more of a outlier and just like a hopeful thing. Might just be harder to find those people yeah, who are a, like really like a, good like at um, all. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's maybe probably so. more or, yeah, or less what so. it is. I don't know. But it, but you know if if you if you have the trust of someone who's technically excellent, you trust them, and they're, like they're they're your number two excellent person or number one, mm-hmm. like Riker. Like just, mm-hmm. honestly, every every organization can be boiled mm-hmm. down to how close is it modeled to uh, the next generation cast, mm-hmm. the next generation. Because I, like I, I mean, like look. That. Did he did? Did Picard trust every single member of that crew with his life? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Except for maybe Wesley. But um, <laughs> <Yeah>. the boy. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. Um, every single t- and everybody had a very clear mission and role and goal. And and it was very broad, you know, his 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 top people, you know, um, he trusted. Yeah. He trusted war for the security. Trusted sure. uh, Beverly. Uh, with his medical stuff, I don't know why he trusted. Uh, uh, what's what was her name? The the older lady, who who became the Oh, the, uh, the
0: second season doctor. Yeah, yeah, Doctor
1: uh, Pulaski, Jane Pulaski. Yeah, yeah I, he, Jane I don't know why he trusted that's, Pulaski because um, she did. She didn't like Data, and why would you not like Data? He's wonderful. <laughs> I
0: get, I trusted like
1: data. data. Data wasn't even human. It's true. He trusted an android. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a leader. You want to see a leader? Go watch Star Trek: The Next Generation. All right. Picard. You know it's funny. Right before
0: this, Derek, I uh, was on. Listen to NPR, and there was an mm-hmm. interview with uh, Patrick Stewart uh, from 2020. It was a couple years ago, but it was um, uh, Fresh Air. I don't know if you're familiar. You ever listen to Fresh Air? Oh yeah. Anyway, yeah, NPR. They uh, did it. They did a, they did a uh, an interview with uh, Patrick Stewart, and it was really good. Very good interview. Totally doesn't have anything to do with this conversation other than, you know, Patrick Stewart played Jean Luc Picard. Good stuff. Fantastic. I'll have to
1: put the, I'll put the link at the show notes. Please <laughs> do. Um,
0: but, anyway. yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that a lot of this, it all boils down to just leadership and, you know, um, making sure your people have the tools that they need to do the things that they know are right. And sometimes yeah. it takes potentially some prodding, finding those people who are just sticking the muds, but giving the people who don't want to be sticking the muds, giving them the, the capacity to do the things that they know are right and mm-hmm. the, t- the tools that they need to do it. And, you know, I think a lot of it maybe even goes back to that learning anxiety that we talked about last week with the stick and the carrot and how do you get, you know, at some point maybe you're, you need to get the survival instinct kicked in for those people who have that learning anxiety so that survival anxiety outweighs the anxiety to learn. Yeah. You know, And I think often, sometimes, well, I don't know, sometimes and often are two different things, aren't they? Those are opposites. But sometimes, I don't know if this is often, you get, you get these organizations that are afraid to hold people accountable. And I think that's probably why in 2022 we're still talking about agile transformation. Mm-hmm. Because those people who were supposed to be doing it 20 years ago did not, in fact, do it and were never held accountable. And they're still in their positions of authority today.
1: <laughs> or they're consulting. Or they're consulting. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. No Sorry. offense, John. I don't know. Actually, John uh, Yeah,
0: so that's it. I don't know. Derek, you got anything else for that? I think we, I think that's pretty good. We got some good no, tips some actionable stuff. Dagna would be happy with us that we didn't uh, just you know complain the whole time. Gave some actionable yeah. things that you could do. I really like your ideas yeah. of the interview, by the way. That's Thank you, brother. Very good stuff.
1: Look, just just uh, be excellent to each other. You know, just be let's excellent, just, uh, dude. just that's uh you know
0: Bill and Ted just be Bill excellent to each other. Yeah, yeah.
1: that's that's my uh, that's my that's final from, statement.
0: That's from Bill and Ted, right? Oh
1: yeah, that's he, not he, he, okay. For a second, I was thinking that was Wayne's World. I no, you know your stuff. You <laughs> it's know another your stuff. Another nineties. Uh, yeah, okay. Anyway, uh, be excellent.
0: All right. On that note, Derek, uh, check us out on retrotimepodcast.com. Get yourself some stickers at retrotimepodcast.com slash stickers. And make sure you leave those five-star reviews. We've got, Derek, we're getting more of them, dude. We got another one the other day. You got to
1: a backlog, this, baby. You to get on. get on this. <laughs> I got to get on this. I'm getting nervous.
0: Oh, man. No no pressure, Derek. No pressure. We're telling people to get those five-star reviews, James. No pressure. Uh anyway, might, at some point if we keep getting these reviews, I was we might sick. have to stop. That's my right. excuse this week. Uh so get those, get your review jam if you want your own song. Leave us a five-star review, and uh Mr. Derek will uh get you, he'll we we'll stuff you on our backlog and we'll get to you eventually. Uh check us out on Twitter, Retro Time Pod. Derek has been tweeting up a storm and we got so many Likes and replies last week. You're a you're a Twitter a Twitter magician, Derek. You're a genius. A Twitter it was a sweet 120 tweet. 120 characters, sweet tweets, Derek. Sweet tweets. I tell you what, I would never be able to do it. Uh, so get get us uh, get on there, tweet at us. That's all I got, Derek. All right. Well. Until next time, y'all. Take it
1: easy. Night, savings time. That's right. All right. Six three two seven eight five three five eight five. You know this is who it's for. Six three two seven eight five three five eight five. This is who it's for. Six. got one in one okay one beautiful (laughs) one yeah not so much um let them fight over yeah right right that's (laughs) the one episode they listened to uh (laughs) you said which one was it you know um (laughs)